Hello and welcome to a podcast for The Lancet Neurology, which will accompany our June 2019 issue. I'm Gavin Cleaver and I'm joined today by Professor Martin Dickens to discuss his latest work on discoveries in stroke genetics. Professor, welcome. Hello. So, Professor, in your review, you, you summarised some of the latest discoveries in stroke genetics. Tell us a little bit about these. Investigators over the last few years have made uh, quite some progress on uh, Mendelian stroke, the discovery of genes uh, for rare forms of stroke, um, such as um, a gene called HTRA1, high temperature requirement protease 1, um, and also mutations in COL4A1, that's a collagen gene. And what they found, for instance, is uh, that heterozygous mutations, that is mutations which are present only on one allele, may cause um, cerebral small vessel disease, which very much resembles the sporadic patients we know and we treat uh, in our clinics. And the same is true for patients with collagen mutations. That's a structural protein that is absolutely critical for the formation and integrity of blood vessels. So these are just two examples uh, of progress on Mendelian forms of stroke. But more recently, there has also been quite some progress on the discovery of um, risk loci and risk genes associated with the more common sporadic forms of stroke. Um, More than 35 stroke risk loci have been identified using a technology called genome-wide association studies, which involves... um, thousands, hundreds of thousands of individuals, so cases and controls, where you compare allele frequencies and thus it's a very powerful tool, can identify genetic regions associated with stroke. So um, this has happened over the the last few years uh, through an effort called um, Megastroke, a a large consortium that involves many investigators across the globe. Then there has been uh, substantial insights, mostly from these studies, so the genome-wide association studies from Megastroke into also specific subtypes of stroke. Um, So as you know, stroke is uh, not just homogeneous, one single homogeneous disease, but caused by multiple mechanisms, including cardioembolism, large artery atherosclerosis, small vessel disease, for instance, uh, just to call on the three most common forms. And these genetic discoveries have um, told us that there are specific genes or genetic regions that are involved in risk of these, for instance, small vessel stroke or cardiomyopathic stroke subtypes. Then we also learned about genetic overlap with related traits, such as blood pressure as the most important conventional risk factor for stroke, hyperlipidemia, atrial fibrillation, and coronary artery disease, and learned, for instance, that, that genes uh, that predispose to blood pressure Um, also predisposed to stroke, partly through or via blood pressure, but partly also via slightly independent mechanisms. For instance, because these genes impact on endothelial function. Um, These recent genetic discoveries also have um, improved our understanding of the underlying biological mechanisms, uh, in particular of small vessel disease, which uh, is particularly difficult to um, to study because it's so difficult to uh, get access to small cerebral blood vessels or just visualize blood vessels in humans and, and also in experimental models. And what genetics has told us, for instance, is that there are various themes like the extracellular matrix, like specific cell types, 
endothelial function, blood-brain barrier integrity, and so on, that now emerge as causal mechanisms in cerebral small vessel disease. And also there have been significant advances how to exploit um, GWAS discoveries or findings from, from, from GWAS discoveries using uh, novel technologies, for instance, Mendelian randomization, to um, establish causal relationships with risk factors and also to identify drug targets. Um, and I think overall these discoveries really can improve and are starting to improve diagnosis, risk prediction, and eventually will also, I think, improve the treatment of stroke. So we've made really, um, the field has made substantial progress on stroke genetics. That's very interesting. So what are some of the implications there for, for risk prediction and diagnosis? Um, in the field of monogenic stroke, so in patients suffering from rare Mendelian variants of stroke or families suffering from um, Mendelian conditions, it's probably most obvious. So uh, once you've identified the gene, uh, such as uh, the NOTCH3 gene as a cause for um, of um, Caracil or other genes uh, implicated in small vessel disease, you can perform mutational screening, so molecular genet genetic testing and um, establish the diagnosis with high confidence, meaning that you can uh, prevent the patient of having to go through additional, sometimes very burdensome investigations. Um, that also provides you with uh, the genetic information, also provides you with improved prognostication and uh, the ability to perform genetic counseling, which of course is in, in, in enormously important in, in these families and patients. So, so there, in monogenic conditions, it's probably most obvious. But then um, for the more common genetic variants, each of which have usually or typically very small effect sizes, but in aggregate, if you take all of them, have considerable effect sizes. Um, for the common variants, you can aggregate information on multiple variants into uh, so-called genetic risk scores, which allow you to, in a similar way, identify individuals at substantially elevated risk for developing a stroke in the future and um, probably also counsel or take specific um, actions. So, for instance, we've recently learned that um, lifestyle modifications, just living a healthy life, for instance, by reducing, your, by reducing overweight, by um, stop to sm stopping to smoke, by controlling blood pressure, and uh, by enhanced physical, ability, uh, physical activity um, is likely to be also or probably even similarly effective in those who are at high genetic risk, meaning that even individuals at high genetic risk can do something about their stroke risk and can um, proactively lower stroke risk by controlling risk factors. And I think that uh, genotyping a common genetic variants, um, multiple common genetic variants, even though currently not common practice for diagnosis or risk prediction, will we will see that happen uh, in the future, will be an integrative part of a precision medicine and will be very informative and um, become uh, very useful in clinical practice. It sounds like a really exciting time in the field. How, how easy will it be to convert these genetic discoveries into novel therapies? Um, it's not straightforward and not easy, but it's a development that currently is 
um, happening in not only in stroke, basically in in all common diseases. And there's there's very strong interest in um, in converting these genetic discoveries into therapies. And just to probably um, name one specific example, pharmaceutical industry has um, found and discovered that genetics is enormously powerful uh, to prioritize drug development programs. And we know, for instance, that drugs supported by human genetic data are much more likely to advance to approval by regulatory agencies than those lacking such data. So um, industry is picking this up. And uh, then, of course, and, and they are very good examples. So, for instance, the discovery of rare and common genetic variants, the PCSK9 gene, that's, um, that's a very complicated name. It's pro-protein convertase subtilisin Hexin type 9, that's, that's what the abbreviation stands for. Th these agents are known as PCSK9 inhibitors, and they have become very powerful drugs now for lowering uh, lipid levels. And the development of this particular group of, um, of uh, drugs has been spurred by genetic findings. So the discovery of rare and common genetic, uh, rare and common variants in this particular or the respective gene. Um, we in Megastroke have found two genes, or target, yeah, two gene regions, uh, the fibrinogen um, alpha and PDE3A, phosphodiesterase 3A gene region, that are known drug targets. Um, and so these are basically the targets of established drugs for acute stroke therapy and for secondary prevention, showing that genetic discoveries also in the stroke field uh, lead us towards druggable targets. Um, Mendelian randomization, I already briefly mentioned on this, enables predicting drug responses and also pre enables predicting side effects. So will save on costs and also on the risks of patients. Um, it's much easier, much quicker, and much cheaper, and probably also at some, in some instances much more efficient to perform such in silico trials based on genetic data first, uh, before going to a, um, a, a real um, clinical trial where patients actually undergo the, the, the investigative treatment. Um, and there have been examples where this Mendelian randomization strategy has been particularly successful. Uh, for instance, for NPC1L, that's a, 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 a gene uh, encoding the drug target for ECTMIP, which is now already in clinical use. And there's another technique called FIWAS, where you look at whether a genetic variant in such a drug, in any drug target, for instance, is associated with other phenotypes. Uh, so not the one that you're primarily interested in, because that allows you then to predict side effects of um, any future interventions that would act through the specific drug target. So genetic, it's, it may sound a bit complicated. It's actually not too complicated. And it's now increasingly used by investigators, by academia, but also by pharmaceutical industry to inform the development of drugs. So I do believe, to answer your question, that um, genetic discoveries will eventually, and they are actually already um, helping to, to lead to novel therapies, but it's not... It's not uh, 
quick as as you as you might easily understand. So, are there any particular limitations that our listeners should bear in mind when thinking about all these advances? Of course, I mean there there are always limitations. Uh, for instance, just to start with one, the majority of data that we have assembled over the last few years have been obtained in individuals of European ancestry. So, um, and that is true basically for for many of the phenotypes, also outside stroke. So, the results cannot be simply transferred to other populations, such as the Asian population, for instance, simply because they have a slightly different genetic makeup, which means you have to be careful. You can't simply translate findings. The answer to this is obvious. We need more data. We need data for other ethnicities and populations, and then see whether we arrive at the very same conclusions there. So more data are needed for non-Caucasians, for instance. Um, then. I think that uh, obviously all in, all interventions eventually will be needed to uh, will will need to be tested in clinical trials. We can't just jump from genetic discoveries to um, to treating patients um, just on the basis of promise of genetic findings. So um, and and of course findings have to be replicated. Genetic risk scores that have been shown to be predictive of stroke risk have to be validated in external data sets. Again, also looking at other ethnicities, step by step, I think we're getting there. So finally then, in your opinion, what are some of the most important steps to take all of this work forward? So what, what are some of the immediate things that, that need to happen? I, I think one big area of need now is the functional exploration in, uh, of these genetic discoveries in experimental systems not only in in animal models, but also in models that are more close to the humans, human individuals. So, for instance, uh, by taking human uh, iPSCs, inducible um, pluripotent stem cells, that's becoming a very powerful technology where you, for instance, um, by genome editing, you introduce a genetic variant of interest into a pluripotent stem cell, and then you differentiate these cells into different cell types, and interrogate the cell types for the biological effects of your gene of interest. Um, that will lead to better understanding of the pathways and targets and potential therapeutics. Then I think um, we will see more and more studies using Mendelian randomization to identify causal pathways and, as I said, to predict the drug response and side effects of interventions. We will see more and, and those studies are needed, more studies with larger sample sizes uh, that will lead, uh, with, without doubt, um, lead to the discovery of additional genes and hopefully also help identifying novel pathways and thus novel druggable targets. I think uh, an, an enormously important step to take things forward is uh, the availability of large biobanks, such as the UK Biobank and then the China Kaduri Biobank, and there are other large biobanks. Uh, which make their data publicly available. It's another very important step. So the scientific community can log into these databases and start performing, asking questions on a very broad basis. Very powerful development. Um, I think it's important that we further refine diagnostic categories. So, for instance, um, we have a more precise idea of other, of classifying, of improve, developing proof tools to 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 classify patients according to stroke etiology, so improve our ability to classify patients as large artery, cardioembolic, small vessel, 
and other etiological subtypes of stroke because that's needed in order for the refinement of genetic findings and thus further discovery. Um, we need, as I said, ancestry-specific studies, so for instance, in the Asian population. And we also need, and I think that's a huge area uh, for the future, studies on stroke outcome. So identify genetic factors underlying stroke um, a disability and, and, and cognitive impairment after stroke, because that will lead us hopefully to a better understanding of, of pathways that are relevant to these important um, endpoints and also provide us with new tools to intervene, hopefully. Well, Professor, thank you for this uh, this insight into the uh, the future of discoveries in stroke genetics. It's been it's been really fascinating, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.